My name is Ali Reza Mujibian, and welcome to Noteworthy. Sawyer Craig is part of a generation of artists who are truly taking ownership of their art form and helping define the next evolution of what opera could be and should be. As a soprano, Sawyer's goal has always been to breathe life into song with intention and meaning. And now, as she plunges further into the world of directing, the excitement that comes from being able to meld those passions together is palpable. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Ali? I am I'm doing well. Uh it was a uh busy week. Um and I'm sorry I bailed on Thursday. Oh, I feel like I can't um in good conscience ever be actually mad at anyone for flaking during COVID. And you literally, you were like, oh, Sawyer, I have to cancel because I have to go fight the good fight against COVID. So it's hard to, you know what I mean? Hard to hold a grudge there. It's so, like, a, a part of me really wants to be able to also use that when COVID is over. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, I think your excuse might run out. Um, <laughs> I mean, I hope it does for all of our sake. So we obviously met at UBC. Don't ask me how I remember this, but somehow when I was thinking about our conversation for today, I remembered that uh, that we were once talking about our path to music and singing, and we were both we were both not necessarily sold on the idea of pursuing pursuing it until we were doing applications, and we realized that basically you have one life to live, so why not give that. Uh, really a go and, and take on that opportunity. You, were you thinking about going into sciences as well and then and then changed your mind right before uh, university started? Yeah, well, that's actually a great memory there, Allie. Um, Thank I, you. I literally remember this conversation very vividly. I think that we were at the WoHo. Yes. I'm pretty sure it was after a show. Um, it, exactly. <laughs> it was exactly that. Yes. With Guinness yeah. in hand. Indeed. Um, oh my God, bless. Someday we will be again. Um, yeah, that was very much how it was for me. I was all set to go do a science degree. Um, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, that was kind of my lifelong dream. And then I had always done music largely. I was more so actually a theater kid than necessarily like a music kid. I've, I've always just been obsessed with stories and uh, telling them live has always been like a real point of focus for me. Um, and I was always doing that as a hobby. And then weirdly enough, not that this is weird. I think a lot of people had this experience, but I think that what it was, was a talk that Jim Carrey gave. And I'm going to misquote it. I'm going to misrepresent it in some way. So I apologize. But basically he said, I learned that you could fail at anything. So I should fail at the thing that I love doing. And that's something that I very much took to heart. I was like, oh my gosh, no matter what I do, I'm going to fail. Don't do the safe thing. Fail at the thing that's really like, that lights you up. Because that's really the choice. It's like, what will you eventually fail in some way at? When you were growing up, what kinds of uh, musical things were you a part of? Were you a part of choir? Did you did you do your like high school or elementary school shows? What what was the bug that started you in the path of like doing artsy things, singing, performing, and and how did that develop as you were growing up? Well, it was a bit of a confusing path for me, um, largely because I was a pretty shy kid. Like I was, I was really pretty withdrawn. I I was really afraid of being the center of attention. 
that's something that kind of holds to this day. I have this very confusing, like, I'm like, yes, I want to perform, but also nobody look at me. Um, (laughs) But as a kid, what that meant is I, my main musical training was in choirs. So I was in these really fabulous choirs in Edmonton uh, called the Cantillon Choirs. Shout out to Cantillon. Um, (laughs) um, And I, it was like (laughs) delightful because it was like competitive choral singing, (laughs) you know? So we like went to we went to Hungary, we went to Wales and uh, and sang in competitions and it was amazing. Um, and it was very serious in many ways. And it was kind of my like main um, early musical training, I would say. And I mean, that was both a blessing and a curse because um, as became very clear in my uh, undergrad experience, I am not a choral singer. Um <laughs> But um, I loved it as a kid. I loved it. Um, And one thing that I really came to love about it was the theater side of it, which I was also doing separately through my school. So I was taking part in all of the plays. I I danced as a kid too, but I was never particularly good or particularly competitive in dance. And then like for some reason at school, I ended up in the plays always as a dancer, which was ridiculous because I was, I struggled so much. (laughs) um and i was really more of a singer Um, so even though even though dancing wasn't your forte you used it as a means of uh what what you were talking about earlier about being like i want attention but i don't want attention kind of yeah but i mean that came from fear right like i was really i was really um afraid of being seen um and that's something that i've like struggled with throughout my artistic journey um (laughs) but Uh, In any case, we're talking about like the early days and how I got into it. And it was really siloed. It was really like theater and singing both existed for me. And then it wasn't really until the second year of my undergrad where I was like, oh, opera is all of these things at once. It really is like the culmination of really all of my interests. So I should probably lean into this. You graduated in 2016 and uh, from UBC, from the UBC Opera Program, the Music School of Music. You moved to Manitoba to pursue your master's in the Faculty of Music there. After graduating, how did you come to deciding your path forward? And was the passion for art song and lead uh, that you had worked on at, at UBC a driving force for when where you ended up in Manitoba? I would say absolutely. But as a singer, especially at that time, like uh, during my UBC days, I would say like the feedback that I I got all the time was just that I needed my technique to be more settled. My technique needed to find its way. Like I just needed to solve a few technical problems and then like I was going to be good to go. And when you're told a lot that you're technically weak, uh, you look towards like other things to like make it all worthwhile. And that really was what I turned to was text interpretation. And I think back so fondly on Rena Sharon's song interpretation classes. Uh, totally. She just like changed my world. Were we in the same class or were you in the class before me? <laughs> well, would you believe I took it twice? So <laughs> <laughs> um, I took it more times at a certain point. I feel like she was like Sawyer again. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, she really changed my world and she like empowered me Because I think a lot of the time, and this is just a little bit because I think if you're teaching opera in a traditional sense, you're talking a lot about Fach. And for me, what Fach taught me, especially when I was uh, younger and I was really kind of living that soubrette life, what Fach kind of taught me uh, without meaning to, like nobody said to me, 
this is the truth, Sawyer. But what I took was, oh, I'm not a serious person. I'm not a serious performer in a lot of ways. And that was directly at odds with my personality. Um, so what Artsong gave me was like agency and somewhere for my brain to kind of do all of that like intense work that opera really wasn't offering to me at that time in a lot of ways. Like it was like, be Barbarina. And, you know, I don't think that Barbarina is mindless, um, but that's something that took me a long time to like kind of realize and, and fully understand and it, it's it's on it, to to be to be frank and to just lay it out there the reality is that if you are in the process of figuring out who you are as an artist regardless of the role that you are asked to prepare you're only ever going to create a hollow version of the role that has been put on paper for you to sing it's never going to really incorporate an element of who you are as an artist until you know who you are as an artist. Exactly. And so what I was doing is what I thought people wanted from me and kind of, I mean, I'm not going to uh, be too hard on myself. It, it really was what I was being told is they're like, just be cute and funny. <laughs> and, you know, I can, I can supply cute and funny, like in a pinch, I can do that. But it was uh, feeling limiting. And so Artsong gave me all of this breadth of space, this abundance to kind of uh, look at texts in different ways and uh, have a personal reaction to poetry and then communicate that without feeling like there was going to be judgment or like a, a feeling of that's, you know, that's the wrong way to feel about this poem or, or this uh, piece of music. In your, in your master's, what were some highlights for you in terms of performance and experience, in experiences of even maybe class um, that allowed you to, to even grow more as an artist to the artist you are today? Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> there isn't hyperbole enough for me to talk about how wonderful my experience at the U of M was. It was exactly what I needed exactly when I needed it. There's something special going on at that faculty. There's this community of really like passionate, really knowledgeable, like brilliant pedagogues, and they all are friends and they all like their basic want is to help the students grow. None of them were interested in what I could do for them. They were never pressuring me because it was about their reputation in any way. It was always about the music. And I would say like the key experiences were things like um, my recitals. I, I did two recitals and I drove my teacher Monica insane because I, I turned them into like concept experiences that uh, complicated the exercise, perhaps needlessly, but I really enjoyed doing it. I did with orchestra. Um, and this is probably, this was like the best experience. It was the Shimanovsky um, Six Songs for a Fairy Tale Princess. And I was terrified of it because it was a concert, right? So it was it was just me and orchestra. There was no staging to hide behind. Like I couldn't do any shtick. It was too long, but somehow the conductor still like let me do all six of them. And they're just, I, I fell in love with them. They're in Polish and that is an incredible language to sing in. Like I, I really love it so much. And I loved these poems and the musical language is like bizarre and difficult, but like very rewarding. And I worked with this wonderful, wonderful conductor, Naomi Wu, who just like made me feel so safe in this like incredibly exposed repertoire. And that's the highlight. Oh my gosh. And that was only possible. Like I think about the singer I was when I went to the U of M and then doing that later, I was like the growth that made that <laughs> performance a possibility like is shocking to me. 
<laughs> I feel like I'm not the same person. <laughs> so in addition to your stellar growth at the time there, you've become a budding director and have been getting into, I mean, you said it at the very beginning of our conversation that uh, you, when you started university, you realized that opera is the amalgamation of everything that you, that you love put into one. Um, so it makes sense that you've taken this journey as a singer and artist now and are, are putting that into effect uh, in from the directing chair. Um, how did you, uh, pursue that ultimate goal? What got you, what got you into it when you were at school and, and what have you been doing? It's something that's been percolating for a long time, but I, I was told really seriously to silo these two parts of really what they are, are parts of my identity. Like I have like singer performer Sawyer, who's like an opera clown and, and loves doing goofy things and loves really hard music and all of this stuff. And then director Sawyer, is like story obsessed and like wants to talk about all of the themes. And I want to unpack everything that we're saying with every story. And um, something that came up for me a lot um, and something that created a lot of performance anxiety in me actually is I was almost bringing director Sawyer into the room when I was operating as a singer. It was impeding me. It was like in my way. And as I kind of grew into directing more and had more opportunities, I realized what all of those intrusive thoughts and like feelings of responsibility really needed were a way to channel them. And that's really what directing is. Cause I think I'm my best when I feel like I am giving and feeling generous and like things are flowing through and out. Sometimes that manifests as like kind of wanting to take care of people. And as a director, I'm much more empowered to do that. My decisions are much more able to have that impact and so those things just align really well. Because I still perform um, and I'm still interested in performing, the people I've directed can chime in here. Um, but I think I'm a pretty empathetic uh, and sympathetic, frankly, director. And I do things that help singers perform well, I hope. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is definitely a necessary trait to have as a director, um, because you'd be surprised though. Um, sometimes you see shows and you're like, I'm not sure that you were trying to help her here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I mean, the thing is at the end of the day, you can't please everybody, That's but true. it's, it's the intention. It's the intention that matters. And, and if, and if people see that, I mean, I think you and I have been in enough productions to know that if, if people see that you're intending to help them grow, intending to create a space where they can discover rather than be told what to do, um, they're far more willing to open up their true self as an artist and put that on display than just going from point A to point B on a stage just because you've marked an X. Yes. And that's so much what I try to do as a director. Um, And I mean, it's also like it started when I was at UBC because I took staging and directing. Oh, we were we were in that class together. We were definitely yeah. which 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 scene did you do? I didn't do a scene. I did a whole show. Um, It was A Hand of Bridge by Samuel Barber. Oh, that's true. Yes. Yeah, And Gwen yes. was in it. Um, And so was Duncan, in fact. And it was a really wonderful experience. And it was partially because my cast was like quite perfect for the show that I was doing. And they were all buds and everybody worked really hard. And I was 
just like I was it was the best possible first experience I have to say like everybody was just willing to try anything and the result was like really I think quite good so I got the bug but then I was told basically um no one will take you seriously as a singer mm-hmm. if they know you as a director first bubkiss yeah, it is kind of like, you know, now, right? Like, <laughs> um, but I was told like quite seriously, um, from people who meant well, you know, and that's, that's what I come back to. I'm never mad about it because I know they were really trying to look out for me and they knew that I was serious about singing and that's what they were trying to support. So I can't be upset, but it wasn't true. Um, <laughs> and we know now that like, there's this uh, concept of the portfolio artist, right? Yes. And it's becoming, especially especially after uh, last year, it's becoming even more and more of a budding niche in, in the community of being able to be multifaceted and, and, and lend your uh, vision and help into different areas of, of the art form. Yes. So, and that's really what I found. Um, I mean, as I described for me, directing and singing, they make each other work for me. I'm not sure that I could just be a singer. I say just be a singer as if that's like a small thing to be. It's not. That's not what I mean. It's enormous. But for me, I have to, um, I'm someone who has too many thoughts running around in my brain. And if I'm directing and that work is also in my life, all of those thoughts running around have like a productive place to go. And as a director, I'm so much better because of my like day-to-day experiences as a singer. And so they really just grow each other. Like it's like a ball rolling down a hill, like every little bit. Now that you have learned and taken your experience as a singer and implemented them uh, from the point of view of a director, how has your understanding of being a director influenced the way you perform? Um, I think my stagecraft is better than it was. And the reason I say that is because all of the notes I used to get that used to like <laughs> make me break out in hives and anxiety, you know, um, <laughs> about like, okay, well, you have to only grab props with your upstage arm, blah, blah, blah. Um, all of this stuff that is like very good information to have, but sometimes feels like there's no point to it. Now I completely understand the point. And as a singer, I'm like, oh, right. Okay. I'm getting that note about not swaying. And because I'm a director, I have seen what the swaying does to a performance. And so I understand why I need that note. When you spend some time behind the table, especially like with the director specifically, you realize how much we as singers worry about that nobody behind the the table cares about at all. We're nervous wrecks. Oh, well, many of us. I mean, there's a few people I know who do okay, and I'm always like in awe. I'm like, how are you so mentally stable? Fair, but generally speaking, um, singers are like mice that have been shown cheese, but they have no access to getting to it. (laughs) Yes, exactly right. Um, We all just want to be so good all the time, and we're all so worried um, and thinking so hard. And then you're behind the table, and you're like, oh, I really only care that like they make it mean something. That's all I care about. So as a singer, knowing that changed the way that I sing. And um, it changed what I try to give people in the rehearsal hall. Because I think also we get tricked by the pressure of opera rehearsals because we're always on such a short time span. And so we think that we're not allowed to play. And we just have to be perfect, be the product. And, you know, to a degree... That is the case. Like sometimes you're in a room and that is what people need you to be. But 
I think what I learned like from directing is that's what I want from my singers is I want them to play. I want them to come out and surprise me and like bring all of themselves and, and do things that I don't expect. And that's what makes it exciting to do the work. So that's what I try to do as a singer now. And that's been much more fun, I have to say. Twenty twenty was a year for for everyone, but really trying to look into the prospects of a better future in twenty twenty one. Where does Sawyer see her career going, and where where are you? What are you working up to? Um, well, right now I'm working on a directing degree. Um, it's a diploma at McGill, and um, I'm learning a ton there. And uh, I think like moving forward, I just want it's like a little cheesy, but I just want to keep doing shows, you know, like I just love, I love our little families that we build when we do shows. I love like what we can do with live performance for an audience. I love kind of everything about that world. And I'm not, I'm not like ambitious in the way that I need to do it on like massive stages or like, and I mean, I'd love to direct big big productions don't get me wrong like i'm i am ambitious is what i'm saying um but i don't um i think as long as i'm i'm doing things and like working and, and making art i'm going to be like a happy soybean feeding you know? your soy <laughs> oh my god yeah <laughs> um but so that's that's more the thing i mean obviously uh, yeah i won't say i'm not ambitious i would love to do um lots of exciting things like there's a lot of shows that i would love to direct uh there's a ton of things in my notebook of like concepts and like possible ideas um me and gwen are in the process of actually starting a small opera company it's not ready to go yet so i'm not going to tell you its name or any of the stuff but that is in the pipeline um Anytime you get to like work with your friends, right? Um, and I think me and Gwen both had the realization that as long as we were like, again, making art, um, and that part of us was like working and and not just making art, but making like really exceptional art, even if it's on a small scale, um, that will like be very fulfilling for the both of us. And so we just like are gonna do it, I guess. As an artist, how did the pandemic affect you? If you want to look at what was going on with my singing before and after, I did, I mean, I did, I think, two kind of exercises in being a singer in in the past six months. Um, and they were the National Opera Intensive with Against the Grain, which was all remote. And it was fantastic. But it's not gig-like, you know? It's not like uh, buckling in to do a show. Um, and then the other, the only other thing I've done was uh, the Met Auditions which were also remote. Like I sang them from the corner of my apartment. It was, it was absolutely bizarre. It was lovely. Again, lovely experience, but bizarre. I had like quite a few projects that I was really, really excited about. And then all of a sudden things just kind of disappeared one by one, which I think is for artists, at least from, from my vantage point, um, it's a bit universal for all of us. It kind of all just went away and we kind of had to sit still with ourselves as an artist, was there anything that surprised you about the effect that it had on our cultural institutions? Yes and no. I mean, it was shocking. What happened was shocking. Like, it was uh, not something that any of us could really prepare for. But I do think it's clear that some organizations were able to adapt a little bit faster than others. 
I, I'm not part of it. Uh, <laughs> this is not an ad, but the um, Against the Grains uh, Messiah Complex oh, was so incredible. Good. It was so incredible. good. Yes. Things like that, you know, um, really wouldn't have been necessarily things we would have done if COVID hadn't been our reality. Um, and I'm glad that that exists at the very least, you know, like there's a lot of projects that I'm glad that they exist in the form that they do. And I don't think they would exist in the form that they do had COVID not happened. It's sort of the smaller opera companies, the kind of like scrappy indie companies that have been able to adapt and take the like flexibility of what they do into a digital medium successfully. I, I certainly hope that we come to think of it as like a rebirth of some kind, because um, again, it's rooted in all of this tragedy. And I mean, for me personally, um, you know, I, I lost my mom at the beginning of the pandemic as well. So I had, you know, another layer of kind of, uh, personal tragedy, I suppose, um, on top of it, that has been a whole journey figuring out how to, um, navigate. Um, it, it sometimes rubs me the wrong way to like look for silver linings and to look for, um, like positive growth from, I guess what, not just me, but I'm sure a lot of other people have gone through in terms of like loss during this year. Um, and so I sometimes get defensive about it, but I really do hope that we like find a beginning in all of it. The the closest I have is the loss of my grandfather 20 years ago. And just the other day was his the 20th um, year of his passing. And, uh, and it's because when, when I was growing up, my parents were both at school. And so my, my parents, I didn't know my parents until we moved to Canada, really. And so my, my grand maternal grandparents were very much that for me. Um, I hope that you, through your art, through through singing, through directing, come to a, a peace and acknowledgement that makes you smile, makes you reminisce, but makes you smile more than anything. That is my hope for you, my friend. Oh, thank you, Ali. Um, I, I hope so, too. I one of the things that's been hard actually is that it's uh, quite common these days. A lot of people have gone through traumatic loss over the past year. And so I feel sometimes resistance to this. Um, you know, we all look for the bright side and we all want that, but sometimes in like looking forward for like the silver linings and all of these things, um, it can feel like we're, uh, trying to gloss over the depth of loss that occurred this past year. And I guess that's a bit why I brought it up because it has occasionally, um, it's occasionally bothered me because I, I feel like sometimes there's pressure for me to say that, oh, this is something that improved me in some way. And I'm like, oh no, it was only a loss for me to like, look at that and like, try to find a way that I'm better because of that like traumatic loss feels like it minimizes it. And I, so I guess in case anyone else has also gone through something like that, I, I feel a bit like um, I, I just, I, I hold space for you and I, I understand. And I, uh, you don't have to be bettered by your sadness and you don't have to be bettered by your grief. 
uh, a final thing I wanted to touch on, uh, to, to, to couple your, your passion for art, song, and poetry, I've always known you to be a diligent reader. And so I wanted to ask you as we, as we bring this podcast episode to a close, if you had any, uh, book recommendations, uh, of things you read in 2020, things that you're going to carry with you into 2021 or you're hoping to touch on in 2021. Oh, lots of things. Um, I just recently reread The Odyssey of All Things. There's lots to unpack there, but I just want to point out that when Odysseus is fighting the suitors at the end, um, he's naked. Like, it says he's not wearing clothes, and that's weird. And um, anyways, so that's what stuck with me from that. Um, I do recommend it. It is a fantastic read. It's like a great story, all of that. I'm also reading, I'm slowly working through uh, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. I love, I finished that last year, like in the middle of last year. Revolutionary for me. Yeah, it really is changing my life. And I, I can't, if you're someone who doesn't like philosophy or like kind of thinks it's you know great in theory but doesn't really apply to life um i really recommend it because it's him speaking to himself as kind of a a very experienced like older man who knows that like he's not going to necessarily live much longer and he's trying to use his time as best as possible and i think that's really relevant for everyone you know um it's it's a great read. It's super interesting. And, and historically speaking, where he was as an emperor of Rome to to have the foresight to write something like this is is um, magical. But it's also just like it's uh, he was just applying his Stoic philosophy. Like one of the main things that Stoic philosophy teaches you to do is give yourself advice as if you were speaking to one of your friends. And that really is what he was doing with that. It's not condescending the way philosophy often is, you know, because he, he just is giving himself advice. <laughs> yes. And and you as the reader can can pick and choose what you what you wish to take from it, but it's it's really it's not a self-help book in the sense that an author's trying to talk to you through the book. He's just talking. It was his own it was the man's journal. We're actually invading his privacy if anything. Truly. And it's not like he's not qualified. <laughs> Fair. As an emperor like, of Rome and a conqueror, I would I mean, you know. I will take advice from like I don't know one of the most famous philosopher kings in history I suppose um <laughs> but uh so I've been chewing on that um and I read this was uh Leanne's recommendation actually and I've really enjoyed it but it's the Tenant of Wildfell Hall and it's by Anne Bronte I'm really into classics this year like that's what I'm doing um <laughs> but um yeah if you like uh Emily Bronte then you you may like Anne Bronte as well. It's a really interesting book and it has like a lot of very interesting things to say about society at that time. And I think society in general, it's, it's good. It's really good. Thank you so much for, for joining me. It's, it's been awesome catching up with you and uh, we definitely need to do it again on or off mic whenever I'm here. Definitely. I would love that. Um, and thank you so much for having me. It's been just like a delight chatting with you. Um, and yeah, I, have a lovely evening. <laughs> Having the opportunity to speak to artists like Sawyer gives me so much hope for the future of not only opera, but the arts as a whole. 
Sawyer will be directing Les Mamelles de Tiresias by Poulenc with Opera McGill this coming fall. And to share some additional great news with our listeners, Sawyer's asked me to tell you to keep your eyes open for a new project of the indie opera variety in collaboration with Gwendolyn Yearwood this summer. You can reach us on Instagram at, at @noteworthypodcast and through our website noteworthypodcast.com. As always, a huge thank you to Duncan Watts Grant for editing and producing this show with me. And finally, don't forget to support your local arts and cultural institutions. Remember, your support doesn't always have to be financial. It could be something as simple as sharing a link on a social media platform to spread the word about a specific event. Thank you for listening.